Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond The Sickest NHL Podcast. It's going to be sick. And welcome to another edition of the Eye Test here on the Sick Podcast Network. He's Pierre McGuire. I'm Jimmy Murphy. And another week, another great week in a hockey, Pierre. We'll get to some of that in a bit. Uh, but we are going to actually do a little college hockey talk here on a Monday. Usually we are on campus Fridays we do that. But we're going to talk some women's college hockey, Pierre. And actually something that you've got to tie to right now. Uh, you've been studying this team and all the ECAC women's team. The head coach of Princeton University women's hockey Kara Mori will be joining us here on the eye test. And, and Pierre, uh, she's got quite quite a impressive resume from the playing career up until the coaching career. Has done a lot for Princeton University. Well, she was a fantastic player at Brown University, not just in ice hockey, field hockey as well. Uh, she's married to a former NFL player. Her husband played nine years in the NFL. Uh, but the biggest thing to me is the stability that she's brought to the Princeton's women's team. Jimmy, I think is huge. Um, and in the ECAC right now, they're down to their last eight on the women's side. Brown, Colgate, Quinnipiac, Cornell, Yale, St. Lawrence, and Princeton, and Clarkson. I mean, that is a phenomenal um, quarterfinal weekend that they're looking at starting next Friday. The home ice teams are going to be Colgate, Cornell, St. Lawrence, and Clarkson. I've had a chance to visit with three of the four coaching staffs over the last seven days that are the home ice teams. They just haven't visited with Doug Darrow at Cornell, but I visited with everybody else at Clarkson, St. Lawrence and Colgate. I've never seen coaches so pumped up. And I think part of it is Colgate's won the last three ECACs, Jimmy. Okay. So they're going for the four Pete, but they haven't done anything really to cement their reputation at the national level in the NCAA tournament. I think Cornell feels they have a legitimate chance to win this thing. I know the people at St. Lawrence really feel they have a legitimate chance to win. And Clarkson, who's playing against uh, Coach Morey's team from Princeton, they're probably the most structured team in the entire country. So it's not going to be easy for Coach Morey to bring her team up there to Potsdam, New York, and try to win two out of three games. But I, do, I think all the women's coaches feel this is probably the best parity they've had, Jimmy. And and so because of that parity, we're going to have an awesome Elite Eight weekend for all the ECAC teams that are playing starting on Friday. Good stuff, good stuff. And one thing I want to talk to the coach about, Pierre, is just how uh, the PWHL has affected women's college hockey. You know, has it has it boosted it? Has it brought more attention to, to the college ranks? Uh, and also, what does it do in terms of recruiting and players wanting to go to certain schools? Because maybe they have a chance to go – you know, to the next level if they're at the right school. So I'd love to, uh, you know, bring that up to her and, and see what the overall effect of this professional women's hockey league has been. And look, Pierre, it continues to get great ratings. Uh, the feedback continues to be great. I was watching a couple of games this weekend and, and it's, it, it's exciting hockey. It's not dying down. Uh, no. it, I, I will say it, it, the, the physicality has varied. It wasn't as, as in your face as the first week or maybe the first two weeks. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I forget what game I was. I saw highlights of it uh, during a Bruins game the other night, and it was there was almost a line brawl in one of the games because some girl got cross checked in the head, and you know the teams are going at it. So I mean, it's still there. It, it's it, there's some bad blood forming, and of course, you know, there's only six teams, so 
these teams are seeing each other often and you're building rivalries as we speak. Well, all the coaches that I had the chance to visit with over the last seven days, they've all said the same thing. The PWHL has made a huge difference in terms of how right. women are seeing their futures in the game. And I think that's really positive. Anytime you get a chance to grow the game, mm-hmm. whether it's on the men's side, the women's side, the grassroots side, it doesn't matter. Once you get a chance to grow the game, it's huge. The women's game will continue to evolve and get better because the Swedes are getting better. The Finns are getting better. The Czechs and the Slovaks are trying to get better. The Russians are trying to get better. Um, you know, Carla McLeod, who's a coach up at uh, in Ottawa in the PWHL, she coached in Japan for years. She was one of the smartest players I've ever seen in all the Olympics that I did uh, covering for NBC and for TSN in Canada. And, and so when you, you see this stuff, um, happening worldwide, it just makes the game better and it helps everybody. It not just the women's game or the men's game, it helps everybody, Jimmy. That's really important. It really does. And then Pierre, you're gonna you've helped that women's game as well. I mean, you've been at uh the Olympics doing women's hockey there. Some of the greatest games you ever were part of broadcasting were women's hockey games, and now you will be doing uh the ACAC Final Four as well. How excited are you for that? Uh, when Doug Christensen, the commissioner of the ECAC, actually asked me to do it, I said, are you serious? He goes, yeah, you don't want to do it? I said, no, I can't wait to do it. <laughs> um, I, I love it. I was blown away. You know, I, I kind of felt that he was just asking me to do the men's. He asked me to do the women's as well. And I said, it would be an amazing honor. I'd look forward to doing it. Um, you're right. Since 2002, I've done every Olympics, uh, whether it was for TSN or for, for NBC. The only one I missed was in Beijing, Jimmy, and that's obviously because I was doing a little bit of work in Ottawa back then. Yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't allowed, my owner, my late owner, Eugene Melnick, wouldn't allow me to go. But I was actually thinking about going to Beijing to do those Olympics. Um, but he made a pretty good decision and was smart by him. Um, <laughs> that being said, uh, some of the better games I've seen, you know, I think about the Sochi gold medal game. I think about the gold medal game in Vancouver. Uh, the gold medal game, uh, in 02 was absolutely unbelievable in Salt Lake City. Uh, more times than not, the Canadians have come up on the right side compared to the Americans, but it doesn't matter. It's the quality of play. And the last Olympics I had a chance to do in, in Pyeongchang, that was an unbelievable game that went to overtime. Yeah, and then nice obviously uh, the Americans win. Um, just in spectacular, the Lamaru girls go to work and finish the game off. But it was it was a phenomenal game, Jimmy. Just awesome. And if we can get that more out there, and I think the PWHL is doing that, yep, yep, it's only going to be better for hockey. Just like I think the women's college game is evolving, unbelievable, and Carrie's been a bit. Kara's been a big part of this down at Princeton, and and I'm really excited to talk to her about it. Yeah, well, we're yep. hoping to connect with her soon. We uh, we should have her soon. Um, Pierre, just while we're waiting, uh, let's switch gears for a bit because it was such an eventful weekend in the NHL, and I want to make sure we just touch on a few topics. We can continue it with our viewers uh, and, and answer some questions as well when we're done with Kara. But uh, your take on Chris Chelios' night in Chicago, the ceremony, the Patrick Kangle, just so much going on there. It looked like a tremendous night uh, for everyone that was there. And, you know, it, it, it was uh, it was pretty, I thought, cool of him. And obviously he didn't know he was going to score the game winner in overtime, but he recognized the greatness and what Patrick Kane meant to that organization. And, of course, this was – Kane's first game back since signing with the Detroit Red Wings. Hard to believe uh, it's his first, but they are, you know, West East now. So um, you're just your take, your general reactions to it. 
Uh, hats off to the great hockey community that is Chicago. Amazing fan base. Um, you know, for 16 years, I had a chance to call a lot of games there and uh, never had a bad trip to Chicago ever. Um, just awesome people. Passion for hockey is amazing. The youth hockey programs are, are crazy good. Um, the grassroots programs are amazing. Um, you could see it. You could feel the energy in the building. Uh, the fact that, you know, Chicago's own Chris Chellis gets his number retired that night, I think was absolutely special. I thought Chris handled it fantastically well. The fact that Patrick could finish it off the way he did. You know, somebody said to me today, you could see he was a little tired, but he still had his hands. Usually when you're fatigued, the first thing that goes are your hands. But you could see Patrick still has his hands. So that was great. Um, unfortunate that Michael Jordan wasn't there, um, you know, because of a death in his family. But all that. And I know how tight he and Chelios have been for a long time. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I, I coached in a Stanley Cup final in Chicago in 1992, Jimmy. Yep. And just to, so people understand how raucous and amazing the old Chicago stadium was when you got to the top of the stairs and all the dressing rooms, the home team and the visiting team, they were below the rink. When you got to the top of the stairs to walk on the ice, you could feel the floor shake. <laughs> and then you, you get on the bench and, you know, people say, Oh, that's hyperbole. No, it's not. I'm telling you, you get on the bench and you put your foot trying to act cool. You put your foot on the bench to kind of show you're large and in charge. The bench is shaking, Jimmy. Oh, wow. I mean, so, you know, I, we miss those buildings, but the fans in Chicago are amazing, and, and I'm not surprised that they did such a good job. The fans did an amazing job with Chelios. They really did. I thought it was great. And with Kane. Look at the standing ovation they gave Yeah, him. well, Pat, look at Pat, Patrick provided three Stanley Cups for that. Well, yeah. I helped provide them. And um, I'll never forget is this draft year was 2007 World Junior was in Lexan, Sweden. Yep. And the Americans did not win. Canada won because of Jonathan Taves, a future teammate of Kane's, mm-hmm. uh, and Carey Price. They won this unbelievable shootout game um, against the Americans and then obviously beat the Russians uh, in the final. But the thing that stood out about that World Junior for me in Lexan on the magnificent ice that is Lexan, Sweden, was Patrick Kane. Mm-hmm. How great Patrick Kane was in that World Junior. And you could just see in 07 – whomever got Patrick Kane and obviously Chicago got him, they were going to change their franchise. Yeah, That's how good Patrick Kane was. And Jimmy, not the biggest man, not the strongest man, not the fastest man, just the best player, man. Do you know what I'm saying? Just a spectacular, spectacular talent. So electric too. I mean, and that's, I think one of the things that the the Blackhawk fans came to love about him was his, his flair for the dramatic here. And obviously we saw that on display last night, but I'm just, while you're talking there, I wanted to look up that team. Um, Pierre, the, I can't, it's not listed. Oh, here we go. So the goalies for that American team, Frizee and Zatkoff, huh? Mm-hmm. Was that one of the reasons? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't because of the goaltending. Um Canada was good. You know, Canada had the Lake Luke Bourdon defense. They had Christopher Latang on defense. They had Mark Stahl on defense. They had Jonathan Taves up front. I mean, you start looking at the Canadian roster that was there, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was pretty good, man. I'm just telling you, it was a pretty yeah. good roster. But their goaltending, Carey Price and goal, and oh. like I said, the Lake Luke Bourdon, Mark Stahl, Christopher Latang. You look at Ryan Parent. You look at the defense they had. I mean, it was a murderer's role of players. Yeah, for sure. JVR was on it too. James Van Riemsdyk for the yeah, American on the American team. team. Yeah, he yep. was. Yeah. Interesting. 
Um, so Pierre, just within that game though, right? A lot of people are coming out saying now, you know, that the, the Blackhawks should have kept Kane and they still could have got Connor Bedard. I don't buy that for one second, but it's like revisionist history here that's going on right now. And Kyle Davidson is kind of taking a beating out there right now from what I see on social media saying, well, why don't we just keep him? We could have got Bedard anyhow. You don't know that. And, and I just think the timing was, it was what it was. You know, you have, unfortunately in today's pro sports, not every player is going to finish his career with the same team. And that's just the way it is. But I don't think that's fair to Kyle Davidson right now for some of the criticism he's taking. No. And there always has to be a passing of the torch. There has to be, you know, it, it, I, again, you grow up in Montreal like I did and you see those great Canadian teams. So you, had the 50s that teams that went into the 60s and then the 60s that go into the 70s, there had to be a passing of the torch. And uh, there always was. There was a great succession plan in Montreal, and it really worked well. And I think in Chicago, they're obviously working on the same thing. The one thing I'd say, though, Jimmy, and we don't mince words here. We tell the truth on the show as much as we know the truth to be. I got mad at one thing last night. I know. I shared it with you. I, and- I didn't know if I if I could bring it up, so I I'm, I was going to let you do it, but go for it. No, I have to. And I've by the way, since you told me a couple hours ago, I've gone and watched that play over and over. I finally it was hard to find a video clip that had what you're about to say. But tell the tell the viewers now. So I'm watching Seth Jones obviously do a little dancing to get into the offensive zone and create an unbelievable scoring chance three on three, and he's with Kurashev and and, um, and oh. Connor Bedard. Yep. And all of a sudden, obviously, Reimer makes a great save for Detroit, and the puck goes the other way. It's a stretch pass, and Kane's going in all alone. And what I watched was because the bench is closer to that end zone than the visitor's bench, Kurashev and, and Bedard go for a line change off the yes. breakaway. And I'm going, are you kidding me? They're going to stick two guys with minuses on that play? Yeah. I, I just think – so I know one's a really young kid. The other guy played a lot in Europe, so I get it. Maybe there's a different understanding. That's one of those where you're lucky to have a player like Felino on your team. So mm-hmm. I think Nick, I don't know if anybody complained about it or not. I don't know. I'm just telling you, as somebody that really cares about high standards, somebody just says, hey, Connor, you don't do that. Because yeah. if that puck would have been coming the other way, he wasn't going for a line change. He was yep. staying on to get the, the odd man opportunity the other way. So yeah. I, that was the only thing that bothered me about last night. And yeah. I told you about it before. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I think it's fine to say that. And that's a learning experience for Connor Bedard there. I think that, you know, he'll over time, like you said, he's got some mentors there. That's why they re-signed Felino is to have a guy like that that can pull him aside and, you know, give him advice on not to do that again. Um, but you know, I'm with you. And I think, I, you know, they're not, I want to say, though, Pierre, I see this a lot with the younger players. I'm glad you brought it up. Like it's not just Bedard. It, it, it's just it's a it's a growing mentality there that needs to be stopped right now because I, I think that some somehow we've gotten at a point where I've, I'm seeing younger players are more concerned in a situation like that about the stat uh, than going with the play. So hopefully that can correct itself. Uh, Looking, I just wanted one more thing on Chelios, Pierre. You, you brought up you, you know you coached against him in 1992 in that final. Um, but you also obviously are familiar with his time in Montreal. And I don't know, you know, we don't have, we have a lot of Montreal viewers, but for those out there that aren't familiar with what happened, why would the Montreal Canadiens trade Chris Chelios? What happened there? Oh, I think there's a lot. There was a little bit loose around their group at that time. 
Uh -huh. um, you know, you had different things going on internally. Uh, Ronald Corey was a president of the team. Um, I, there probably were some internal di disputes. Mm -hmm. um, they wanted a chance or had a chance if they traded Chelios to bring in Denny Savard. Um, and that was the one that got away, obviously, when they didn't draft Savard and and they drafted um, the late Doug Wickenheiser. So there was a lot that went into that. It wasn't just one or two things. I think there was a lot. Okay. Um, when that all went down, uh, I was just coming into the league. So I didn't, you know, okay. um, and I wasn't coaching. You know, eventually Chris moved on and, and was in Chicago. But when he was in Montreal, it wasn't. I really didn't have everyday access to NHL stuff. You know what I mean? Did they know then, like the health issues that Savard was fit? Had that already started, or is this something that happened after he got to Montreal? I don't think they really knew. I think they were intrigued by the name, uh -huh. and it was a different time. And you know, I eventually you saw what happens. Not too long later, they made yeah. one of the biggest mistakes in organization history, where they trade Patrick Roy to Colorado. Um, because emotions ran high and, mm -hmm. you know, it was they a problem. They've never know, <laughs> no, I mean, that. It, it was, it was really tough, obviously. Yeah. And so, you know, you look at it long-term, some tough stuff went on in Montreal. There's no yeah. question. Yeah. I think that the most ironic thing about that, Pierre, is that, you know, while Savard didn't work out, Right. They end up winning a cup a couple of years later after in, like two years later. Right. Ninety three yeah. with him, obviously, in a suit. And there's a famous scene. He came on the ice there. So he doesn't really even play an on ice role in that. Right. But then the guys that they get for Wah all played. They were healthy for a while. They were they were in the lineup nonstop and nothing ever came of it. And so it's just you just kind of look at it. And it's like, oh, man, it's well, the one thing that Jimmy, I'd say this. That's and I, I know. I just, it's really important for people to remember this. They don't win the 93 cup. I, I'm just telling you, they don't without Patrick. Roy. They there's no, no chance. They won, they won 10 games in overtime in the playoffs. Just say the overtime run was amazing. They, they won 10. Jimmy, you yeah. don't win 10 in 82 games. Without a goalie. Yeah. You know, they won 10 out of 16 to win. So, you know, Patty was amazing and he never, well, he always got huge credit. He was constantly trophy winner, but you know, you look at it and you say, long term, man, I don't think people realize just how many blemishes that guy covered up. Yeah. He was, he was an amazing. And the other thing, and I, I hope somebody sends a tape to the late coach. I coached against Jacques Demers wow. and an unbelievably fun guy. Yeah. Real gentleman. Class act. The time, all the time to check in to make sure you're doing all right. And Jacques made a big difference with that team, the 93 mm -hmm. team. Um, he did, Jimmy. Yeah. He did. He kept it positive when it could have gotten dark and really nasty during the course of that That's year. Right. He kept it positive, man. Yep. I'm telling you. So um, everybody, you know, is quick to credit X, Y, and Z, but I never really hear people say, well, Jacques Demers played a big yep. role. I think and the I only other person I've heard is, is our mutual friend, Mitch Melnick. He's the only and one. Mitch, I've Mitch gets it. He does hundred percent. He was around that team all the time. Yeah. Um, Jacques Demers made a big difference, but in all fairness, even the Montreal fans will tell you, no way do they win. No way do they win the cup without Patrick. No, that, was zero chance, zero that was such an amazing run. And a, and a good stick check, too, on Marty McSorley. <laughs> <laughs> that, so, you know the story on that or no? Not, I, I have vague, vague memories of it, but refresh okay, so us. There was, a, there was a concert in Montreal. There was a concert in Montreal. Okay. Between games. So, 
in the old forum, there was a visitor's room. And then on the other side of the visitor's room, there was a storage room. And the Canadians put the stuff in the storage room because the visitor's room was being used for the concert. Mm -hmm. And the Kings didn't have their own locks. Oh, geez. So the Canadians put a lock, their own lock. Now, <laughs> I don't know who measured the stick. Somebody clearly did. <laughs> and I think, I think Carbo confirmed it on the ice when he looked at this, the curve on McSorley. They knew coming into the game. Yeah, they, they knew, knew, and they just needed the look to confirm. And I believe it was Guy Carbonell that, you know, and if I'm wrong, I'll apologize. I don't think I yeah. am. Though. I think Guy went to the coach and said, that stick's illegal. Yeah. And, and they got him. And, you know, you know what happened to me when I got Yarmir Yager. I uh, knew. Yeah. So I knew. And then he comes out of the penalty box and scores and gives me the business. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and I deserve to get it too. So it's all good. <laughs> That's good stuff. And quickly, just one more thing on Chelios too. Your opinion, greatest American player or Patrick Kane? Well, I don't know about greatest American player. Mike Madonna was pretty darn good. Okay. Uh, Brian Leach was pretty spectacular. Yeah. Uh, and I don't mean any disrespect meant to Chris at all. Like I watched Chris play at Wisconsin. Um, Obviously, saw him a ton in Montreal when he was playing as a rookie player and gets in the celebrator fight with Ronnie Hextall in the corner of the playoffs <laughs> when he was young. Uh, Chris, amazing player. Amazing, amazing player. But to say the greatest American of all time, I'd have to do a lot of research on that. But yeah. Madonna was, like, really special. Kane is obviously yeah. – Unbelievably special. I don't know how much people watched Brian Leach back in the day before he got to Boston right. College, but Brian Leach was crazy good. Jimmy, yeah. I, I know I told you this story off the air, but I'll tell it to you on there. I remember going in the first time to watch him play at the Avon Old Farms Christmas Tournament. His defense partner's name was Rich Brasha, a kid that ended up going to RPI. And I, I have no reason to remember that name, except yeah. that I remember who his partner was. And I looked at this guy and I'm going, there's no way he's a prep school player. Uh -huh. He was so much better than the other players. It was insane. Yeah. And then you see the fast track that he's on, and eventually yep. he ends up playing for the Rangers and was a critical part uh, mm -hmm. and component to them winning the Cup in 94. Yep. You know, Brian, Brian had just an amazingly well-decorated career. Phenomenal. You think, I, I, I mean, I think it's you could make an argument that, that you know, Austin Matthews is on his way to being in – in the top rankings eventually, I think oh for American gosh. players. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, you look at the consistency that he's scored with since he's yeah. come into the league and it's insane. I know we've talked about this. I remember going to USA hockey back in the day and sitting with Donnie Granado and his staff and breaking down tape and I'd be like, who's that guy? He was only like 15 years old. Well, Austin Matthews, that guy's Ronnie Francis with speed. Yeah. And, you know, and that's not a knock on Ronnie. Ronnie's a hall of fame player, like an amazing player. Yeah. But Austin Matthews had more get up and go than him at that age. And yeah. you could just see, like, holy moly, if this kid continues to improve, he's going to be lethal in the National Hockey League. Unbelievable. Good stuff. And, hey, speak, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Donnie Granado because I wanted to bring up his brother. That was uh, that was really something to see him in the, in the booth. And I don't know if you saw. I should have clipped it and we could have played it. I apologize. Um, just a touching moment when they were interviewing Sid on the bench after the game and, and, and Sid was in tears. Um, talking to Tony, you know, so it was, it was nice to see him out there. Like, he seems to be upbeat. And, you know, if, if you're watching Tony, we're, we're thinking of you and uh, it was great to hear you breaking down some hockey uh, for the audience there.
Yeah, I was in touch. I stay in touch with Tony a fair bit, and uh, he's flying to New York today uh, for some medical stuff, and he's doing great. Couldn't be more proud of uh, him and how hard he's battling and doing very, very well. Mm -hmm. um, again, I can tell you from having done so many Penguins games over time when Tony was there as an assistant, uh, how much time he spent with Sydney. Yeah, uh, working on Sid's shot. Really was amazing to watch how much time they spent together. It kind of reminded me of my time with Yarmer, mm -hmm. uh, or with Larry Murphy or with Joey Mullen, you know, uh, or Jimmy McKenzie. I remember having doing a lot of stuff like that with him in, in Hartford. You know, you don't forget those moments. Um, yeah. when you have a chance to work with guys you really care about. And uh, so, yeah, no, I'm, I was, I'm really excited for Tony. He's really battling hard and he's doing a lot better. And, and you know what, Pierre, the game, being around the game, has got to be a good medicine as well. I mean, well, you know for, I mean? for him, I can tell yeah. you. He's him, a hockey addict. He's <laughs> a hockey addict. Um, <laughs> it's just amazing how much he loves the game. And yeah, remember when he was moved from Pittsburgh to Detroit and, um, you know, how much time he would spend in the office and the old Joe Lewis. And back in those days, we were doing a we did a lot of games in uh, in Detroit too, yeah. like a lot of games. Right. Those, those, yeah, when they were winning. Oh yeah, it was uh, it was pretty neat. Pretty Good neat. stuff. Well, it looks like we we we're not going to get uh, Karamori today, unfortunately. But we, we've got plenty to talk about, and I think we should open up. Oh, to our let's go. We got plenty. And I want to I want to pull up right out of the gate here. You just mentioned a name that our good friend Evan in the in the comments section. We're talking about great American players, and it's somebody you got to coach, Pierre. Uh, let's pull that up. Evan McLaren talking about Joey Mullen. Yeah, Jojo. I just brought his there name up. I can't say enough good things about Joey. Um, kid from Hell's Kitchen. His father worked on the Bull Gang with the New York Rangers at Madison Square Garden back in the day. And, um, you know, his brother Brian was a tremendous player, too. Um, just fantastic hockey family. Uh, Joe's sons, actually, I think one of them uh, is a referee at a very high level. I've seen him. Mm -hmm. a fair bit. Um, but now Joey, Joey, uh, to show you how much passion he had to score, Joey would go on the ice by himself and just work on different shots from different angles on the ice. And then eventually added where Larry Murphy and I would join him. And, you know, we, we would shoot a lot of pucks and pass a lot of pucks with Bob Johnson used to say it all the time. If you want to be a young player in the league, you got to play like Joey Mullen does on the point on the boards. Uh -huh. And Joey Mullen was the best at catching a puck either in his skates or on his stick along the boards and getting it out. He yeah. was, and Bob would call him the king of the chip outs. He was the best at getting the puck out of the zone, Joey was. He was unbelievable, and he practiced it. It was an art to him, and he was yeah. really good at it. Really good, good stuff. Well, I think we only got about one question right now, but Evan, Evan's loving the Penguins talk right now. Um, we'll go back to him. He, uh, he wants to talk about a current thing here. Yeah. Uh, pull it up on uh, Jake Gensel. There we go. No, wrong way. There we go. He talks about a playoff spot with no Gensel and no Russ entering this four-game road trip out west. I mean, he's right, Pierre. I know I know. we keep talking about the games in hand and the wow. differential, but it's – They're running, it. They're running, out, of, they're running, they're running out, out of racetrack. Yeah. They are. They and, are. and without Jake and – potentially Brian. I don't know how bad Brian's injury is. You know, obviously they haven't seen any comments. Maybe you have uh, coming out of yesterday and their win over Philadelphia, but tough, obviously. Um, trip starts in Vancouver, I believe, tomorrow. Um, it's not going to be easy. They're playing against a, 
a team that knows them really well, obviously. <laughs> the Vancouver Canucks got a lot of Pittsburgh Penguin people there. Yeah. Um, and really now they're at a point where um, they have no room for error. You know, mm -hmm. they really have no room for error. And so they got to play almost letter-perfect hockey the rest of the way. And I think the other thing, too, and I'll, I'll credit our good friend Jeff Merrick was saying this earlier, Pierre, going into Canada for that three-game Canadian trip with, like, 10 days left to the deadline, yeah. oh, no, I won't be distracting at all. Like, they'll be not, they won't be getting any questions, right? <laughs> no, but the one good piece of news for Pittsburgh, all those guys have been through that before. Yeah. If that was more of a neophyte team, I'd say that's going to be a problem, Jimmy. Because yeah, of the experience. But, you know, it's, they've been through it. They're just, it's water off a duck's back. They're not going to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the media don't make the trades that the teams do. Yeah. And I would say that uh, for most of those players in Pittsburgh, not all, but most of them, they've been through it. Even you look at achari has been through it. Lars Eller's been through it. Mm -hmm. You know, all the guys they added in the offseason, they've all they've all been through this. Yeah. You know, Ryan Graves has been through that a million times. Yeah. So it's not that's not going to be an issue for them. I don't believe. I, I look at it, though, Pierre, and you were the first to say it. And now people are talking about it. The more I think about it, I mean, you have to explore what you can get for Tristan Jerry, I think, if you're Kyle Dubas. Yes. Yeah. And look, if Tristan's family's watching or Tristan's watching this. We're not saying they should. We're not saying they should do that. No, no, we're not. But what asset gives the best value for what Pittsburgh needs right now? They right. need everything because of what – look, at they, and this is not a knock on anybody that was there before or is there now. The truth is they sacrificed a lot of their future to try to win in the present. They wanted to win as much as they could with Sydney and Gino and, and Christopher and, and Tristan. Um, and they haven't really since 2018, they really haven't been able to do very much if you really yeah. look at it. So it's a problem. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, but this is what happens. You make an organizational decision and now they're, you know, different ownership, mm -hmm. different ideology, Mm -hmm. And now different GM. And so things change and we're going to see how it works out for them. And I'm glad you brought that up about 2018. I saw it today. Is that six and 15 in the playoffs since 2018 for the pitch? Yeah, I mean, I, again, I don't want, it's easy to kick dirt on somebody, especially when they're, you know, going through it the way the Pittsburgh Penguins are. But the truth of the matter is they sacrificed so much to win in 16 and win in 17. They went back to back that it, now that the bills come in, now you yep. got to pay the toll. It happens. Jimmy, it's not easy, man. I'm, you know. Salary like, cap world, man. That's we we talked about this. You and I talked about this a lot off the air. I mean, yep. everybody says, oh, I want instantaneous success. It doesn't come. There's no such no. animal. No, no, there isn't. It just and, doesn't and if work. It does, it's a fluke. Yeah. You know? If it does, it's a fluke. All right, what do we got for questions over here, guys? A to Z me. I've watched him play a bunch of games, and I realize it's still early, but Reinbacker worries me. I don't see anything in his game that screams top five pick. What does Pierre think? Uh, no, you know what? I, I understand where you're coming from because I wouldn't call him a loud player either. That's a scouting terminology. A loud player is a guy that dominates the puck. You notice him all the time. He's a guy that thumps people with a check. He doesn't really do that. He's a guy that you know can shoot the puck through a wall. That's not part of it right now either. He's just stable and clean. He's efficient. He's effective. He's not a loud player. I do think he's going to be – an important part of the Canes at some point. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd say the smartest move they made was to send him back to Europe and yeah. not in the American league. I don't think people really, okay, Jimmy, we talked about it. Matt Rempe is 21 years of age. Yeah. 
right. I want to bring him up. Yeah. He's, he's fearless beyond belief. Like that kid's got yep. serious guts, serious, serious. So look at him. He's 21. And now he's kind of just getting it going. The other guy's 18. Mm -hmm. You know, could you imagine? It's not even. Yeah. So, no, I'd say that the Canadians did some smart stuff, especially by sending him back to Europe. He's just not ready to play in the American League. Jerry, as you described him there, a name came into my head when I'm thinking about defensemen that play like that in the NHL. Brandon Carlo. Is that a good maybe? Yeah. I think I think Reinbacker's a better skater, in my own humble opinion. But I know how hard Carlos worked on his skating. I've yep. watched him over the years, and he's a. You look at Boston on the right side, just the first two guys with with McAvoy and and then Carlo. Like, look around the league. Do you think many teams in the league have a right side like that? No, nope. just those two guys. No, they don't. So he's dependable. He's that's just every game, you know what you're getting. Exactly. He's not an A, he's not a C. He's a yep. B plus every game. Yep. You know what you're getting from Brandon. Exactly. And he loves hockey. He's yep. a Jimmy, you're there. Yeah. I was I used to be there a lot. He's popular with his teammates. Too. He's a yeah. he's a great kid. Yeah, he, he is. Great, and he's developed kid. into a good leader in that dressing yep. room. I agree. Next question. Marvin Matthews, how hard of how hard of a balancing act is it for a coach when he knows his team isn't talented enough to win consistently, but he has to keep his players motivated to compete? Yes, I'm talking about the Habs. And That's you great. are not wrong, Marvin. What a well-phrased question. Yep. Really smart. Um, I said on this show, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I really thought, Jimmy, when they didn't get anything in return for Sean Monaghan, the players knew the gig is up for this year. They knew. And what have they won? One out of their last eight? You know what? I don't think yep. something like that. It's not very good. Um, so that's about when the Monaghan deal went down. Mm -hmm. The guys know. that They understand. Yeah. They understand. So yeah. it's unfortunate. I feel bad for the Canadians and their fans. But they'll play with energy. There's more to come. I, th I think they're going to move a couple more guys. Obviously, Jake Allen's probably one of them. Um I don't know if they'll be able to find anybody to take Brandon Gallagher's contract, mm -hmm. but maybe, maybe Brandon. Um, and who knows what else? I, I don't think they'll trade Savard, but I don't know that Jimmy. I, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. One thing I will say though, and they, they are the prime candidate for those teams, Pierre, that in the second half of March and into the final games, right after the deadline, and his team's just really battling. There's so many of them this year, too, battling neck and neck for points. The teams maybe overlook them a bit, and they can surprise them, and they become spoiler. They did it last year. They did it did it the year before. Mm -hmm. Those are teams. When I'm a team further ahead in the standings, I hate playing those teams if I'm a coach because I don't care. what I know they're professionals. I understand it. But still, sometimes it's hard to get your players up for those games, and the Canadians can pounce on that. That's a fair point, and it's good. But the one thing I would tell you, it's fine if the Canes do that. Mm -hmm. But if you misread that as a management team, it's called fool's gold. Yeah, good point. And so a lot of times, this happens, by the way, Jimmy. Your point is really well taken. This happens, mm -hmm. and then the team overreacts says, see, we're not as bad as we thought. Yeah. We don't have to tinker as much. Mm -mm, you do. You do. It's, fool, it's fool's you're gold. Catching, you're just catching teams sleeping. That's all. You're, it is. hundred percent. And yeah. so it's all fool's gold. And it's been out there. That's a terminology that some of the 
people I run with in hockey use. Oh, yeah. and, and so um, it's not a knock. It's a reality. You just have to be smart. And it this statement will never go away. You need to be an expert on your team as a manager. Nobody can know more about your team than you. And if they do, you're not going to be a very good manager. Yep. Yep. I agree. And it's, it's proven to be true over and over, Pierre. All right. Let's go to another question. Evan McLaren, I appreciate your critique of over-reliance and data-driven analytics. I hate hearing from analysts who can write code but can't skate backwards. What do you feel is a proper use of data analysis? So when I, if I was negotiating a contract, I'd use it for comparables, especially if it worked on my side. Um, I would use it if it came down to a battle internally on a player. Mm-hmm. Let's say it was down to Murphy and McGuire and they were battling it out and half my staff like Murphy and half my staff like McGuire, I'd go there and I'd use it as a tool um, there. But you have to look at different situations a player's plan, different coaches and how they force their players or ask their players to play. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to it, but there, are, there is some benefit to it. There is 100%. But one of my biggest arguments is who's inputting the information and how do we know it's correct? That's a great call. How do you know? Because I'm going to tell you right now, one of the catastrophes of COVID for the hockey world, I'm not talking about worldwide, because obviously it was a major catastrophe worldwide. I'm just talking from an athletic point of view. One of the major catastrophes from 2020 draft, Mm -hmm. which should have been one of the best drafts since 2003, was the over-reliance of numerous management teams of analytics. Yep. Because they didn't get to see the kids play. Exactly. And I'm just telling you right now, there was a large sum of players picked out of European leagues because they were still playing and they were accumulating analytic data on those players. Yes. And because they were able to do that, it led to a very skewed draft from the fourth round to the seventh round. Mm -hmm. A lot of players that should have been picked were not picked. And it led or will lead and is leading to a glut of free agents in major junior and college. They're just starting to come to the fore now. And you're going to see, I think, a lot of teams dipping into that pool of players that weren't drafted uh, in 2020 because of mistakes that were made with the draft. I'm with you, Pierre. I'm with you. And look, I was telling – I said last week on here, Pierre, I'm happy now to see more scouts in the press box. You didn't see that coming out of there. And I'm like, uh Oh, this isn't good. This means they're relying too much on video and and analytics and not getting the eye test and not putting, I have to tell you this quick story. And the only people that will know it are the coach that was involved, the scout that was there. And those are, that'll be the only two. Now I'm going to share it. There'll be no names involved. Okay. A couple weeks ago, the scout went in to watch a game in tier two junior. Mm-hmm. and he called the coach before he came, and he said to the coach, how come this player didn't play the last two games? And the coach goes, I'm sorry, sir. I'm the head coach of the team, and that player played more minutes than anybody else on our team. He played more minutes. So the scout goes, that's impossible. It's impossible. I was there. And so I, the coach – eventually figured out the scout wasn't there. The scout was watching the game on TV 
and the player's number had been changed for that game. Wow. So I'm just telling you, this is where some of this is going with the video scouting and all this. Yeah. Guys miss. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes the the vision, the camera work is not as elite as it would be for a pro game or an American League game or even a Division One college game. So this is kind of the stuff that goes on now. That never, just, I can tell you, never awesome. happened when it was boots on the ground, hardcore, in-your-face scouting. It never happened. That's ridiculous. Well, I just found that out today, and I was like, whoa. Mm. Yeah, that's ridiculous. All right, next question. Evan, again, it seems probable that the Penguins are going to try and stay relevant the way the Bruins did after their last cup. Is that possible without the kind of draft capital the Bees had, though? No, it's not. And Like, I love Evan's passion. The way he words his question is phenomenal, yeah. obviously. Um, I don't think so, no. Um, they missed the playoffs last year. Uh, they tried to address the bottom six scoring. It hasn't materialized. And one thing I would say, Drew O'Connor has had an amazing little run here. The free age out of Dartmouth University. He's he, he or Dartmouth College, I should say. He's he's been out. He's been really good. And he's a big kid that yeah. can really skate. And I'm I'm happy for him. He, he's really done well. You see how much Malkin's looking for him out there too. Well, yeah, because he knows. Gino it's, knows that guy can yeah. wheel, man. He's that big means that means you you've proven yourself there. Hundred percent. Great point, Jimmy. Really good point by you. Yeah. So, anyways, I'm just saying <clears throat> they tried to address it this summer with their bottom six. And, you know, Lars Eller's done some good things there, but offensively not as much as I think they wanted. Mm -hmm. Nola Cherry's been outstanding when he's been healthy, just yeah. not as much offensively as you thought you might have got. And, you know, Riley Smith is a good player. He is. For whatever reason, I think the injury – he had an injury earlier this year. Just hasn't gone to the level that I think they were expecting him to go. So those three guys, just, it, it's not that they can't play. They're playing. Yeah, it's just they're not giving them the numbers they thought they were going to get when they made these kind of moves. So I, I just don't know how they, unless Philadelphia melts down, I just don't know how they're going to get in. Yep, I'm with you. All right, what do we got? Let's see if we have any more. No more for right now. Oh, we do. We do. Uh, a to Z, me. Savard has some value now. I think the Habs will move him. We were just talking about that. I don't know. He has value, hundred percent. He has value. value. I, I, if if I'm Kent Hughes, I keep him. I like him as one of those mentor guys like Felina in Chicago. I keep him for that for those young kids coming up on defense because you've got a, a ton of youth coming. I agree. I, I that's perfectly said. I completely agree. All right. If we don't have one, Pierre, uh Jimmy Murphy in the village has got a question for you. Go. <laughs> so I wrote today at Boston Hockey Now, Pierre, I was talking about how, you know, more and more right now it looks like Jake DeBrusque is gonna be a playoff rental, but for who? Is it the Bruins internal playoff rental, or is he a playoff rental for another team? And as I was writing a story here, I thought back, and this doesn't necessarily just apply to the Bruins. This is just any GM being in this situation. I thought back, I want to say it was 2016 and Sweeney was in a similar position with Louis Erickson, mm -hmm. who was heading into free agency. Mm -hmm. He kept him and lost him. And the Bruins missed the playoffs. Do you think, he or do you think other GMs, when they've been in a situation like that before, how much how, how much does that affect them later on in terms of making that you know decision? Do I put him on? I don't want to sign him now. 
I know I'm not going to sign him right now. I'm not giving him the extension. I want to see what he can do. Or does is Sweeney now saying, I don't want to take that chance, and I put him on the market? I think the number one question has to be from Don Sweeney to Jimmy Montgomery. In your guys as a coach, how critically important is he for us to compete for the cup? Okay. And if the answer is we need him, then I don't think he goes. And then you play the dangerous game of losing him, even though you can you own him until you know July first. Right. Yeah. So you can still you can still negotiate with him at any time. Yeah. Um, unless you trade away his negotiation rates, which yeah. some teams have done, by the way, yeah. for different players. Or Jimmy Montgomery says, you know what? If you can get something different that we need. Maybe the, you got to look at the defense now, Jimmy. Like, how long's Hompus Lindholm out, Jimmy? You know better than I. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not hearing good things. So, so do you think that that puts a hole in the Bruins? Yes, I do. I do. I think the hole was already there, to be honest. But so, so you see what we're talking about now. Yeah. Um, so maybe you have to use that player to get somebody that you know can fill that hole. Um, but I think it comes down to a very serious conversation between the head coach and the GM on that one. Okay. And then one more thing I want to ask you, Pierre, and just any team in general, if you're a team in playoff contention and, mm-hmm. you know, or you're, let's say you're battling, you're still jockeying, you're not like mm-hmm. set. Is it, do you tend to want to give a kid from Providence that's been lighting it up a chance or do you want him to stay down there and keep developing and, you know, just roll with your veterans. I think Is it all can, situational? Yeah, no, I think you can get, like, if you're Boston, you're – you've, you've got enough wiggle room right now in the standings. You're okay. I wouldn't be afraid to give guys – as long as they don't require waivers. No. Um, I wouldn't be afraid to – if a guy required waivers, I'd be nervous about that. Because mm-hmm. if you showcase cinema, a kid that requires waivers, you bring them up mm-hmm. and then you try yeah. to sneak them back on waivers and you lose them for nothing, then – that's a managerial bogey. You can't do that. So that it would come down to that. I know I'm kind of hedging on your aunt or question, yeah. but I think that's part of it that people don't always look at. The waiver stuff is obviously pretty important. All right. Enough from Jimmy Murphy in the village here. Let's go back to the question board. I see two more and then we'll finish it off. Vid Zombie, do you guys think the Habs will go free agency shopping this summer or should they wait another year? No, I, I, think do. I do. I think they'll yeah. try 100%. I think um, it's time. I think people realize now, you know, I read different columns and I hear people say different stuff around the rinks that I go to about how hard it is in the Atlantic division. It is. It's re- it's, it's hard. The Atlantic division's hard. Yep. That's why when this podcast started, I said, I personally think this year five teams from the Atlantic will make the playoffs and three from the Metro. And yep. if you look at it right now, you know, Jimmy, right from the first show, we've talked about this. That's where it's at. That's where we are right now. And that's why I think if anybody outside the top three in the Metro is going to make it, they're going to have to catch Philly, and Philly's going to have to melt down. And I, I just don't know if they are. They've lost their last two, but that doesn't, and they lost Drysdale yesterday. How, Jimmy, do we know how seriously injured Drysdale is? I haven't seen anything. I'll, uh, I'll even type it up on it. Well, as you keep talking, I'll type it up. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, so, so again, the Atlantic's really good. And for Montreal to be able to take a step forward, I think they have to start to play in free agency a little bit. I do. I think they have to play there, Jimmy. Yeah. And I I don't see why they wouldn't. I think they've earned the right to get there. They've developed guys. Now it's time to add in the pieces you need around them. All right. Final question. Evan, again, 
Once in a while, I hear someone raise the idea of the NHL expanding into Europe. Seems infeasible, but interesting nonetheless. What do you guys think? Go, Jimmy. What do I think? I I like it. I like the idea a lot. However, I just the logistics to me, I, I just don't know how you'd figure it out with travel and everything. You've got enough issues right now in the Western Conference with the hellish travel schedules that those guys have to face every year. And it is hell. Now you're going to ask them to go literally across the continent, then across the Atlantic Ocean. And I just, unless, unless, here's the only way I could see it happening, Pierre, is if you broke it down a la old school MLB, where there was a National League and American League and they never played each other until the finals. That's the only way we would do it because then the West doesn't have to travel. It would just be East teams that would face the teams in Europe. That's the only way I'd do it. There's a reason why I let you go first. That was sensible. That was really good. That was awesome. I like that. Now, here's one other thing to think about. And I know Evan's a numbers guy. One of the things you have to do in in North America is solidify TV markets. Mm. And when Atlanta went to Winnipeg, you lost a substantial TV market. One of the things that hurts hockey in Texas is the Dallas Stars don't have a rival. So one of the top TV markets in the United States is Houston, Texas, Mm -hmm. and that would create a rival. So there's two potential expansion locations that I think the league really needs to worry about. And then you've got a lot of rumors about Arizona moving to Utah, which would be good because Salt Lake is a growing community and it's a great TV state. It's growing. Then I think they have to tax free. Am I correct? No, on that? I don't. Okay, that's another thing to consider. <laughs> and then um, you got to think about a couple other markets. I think they got to keep it an even number. So if you're going to go from 32, you better get to 36. Exactly. You know, and what's another really good hockey market is Portland, Oregon. And mm-hmm. um, I think, again, you look at Oregon right now, they've proven that they can handle hockey. The Portland Winterhawks have been an amazing story for years and years and years. And And so I think before they think about Europe, they need to solidify these TV markets. Yeah. Um, And if you were, you know, okay, I'm not a TV executive, but I worked on TV for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that's kind of helped hurt the ratings is there's some markets that are missing Mm -hmm. that, you know, Hockey's a real territorial type of sport. Yep. And unless you have skin in the game, you're not watching. Whereas in football, you know, they say the Fox game of the week and you watch it, they get tremendous ratings. Dallas plays Green Bay and the whole country's watching. Yeah. And nobody's got skin in the game unless they're gambling on the game, but their teams aren't playing. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. So you, and Green Bay would be the smallest, I think the smallest TV market in the NHL. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, but we have to get there, if you know what I mean. That has yeah. to be something. And just another thing on Salt Lake, too. Um, it, the Kings actually, you know, they're playing in Quebec City next year. Yes, I do. They are right before that going to play. It was just announced in Salt Lake City. Isn't that interesting? So here's – okay, so I'm really – first of all, you know I've been bullish on Quebec City forever and ever and ever. Yeah, right? same – you know, I mean, I've had the privilege of coaching the Coliseum and, and obviously the new building, the Videotron Center is better than the Coliseum. doesn't have the same tradition as the Coliseum, but that's okay. I get it. 
you know, my mom and my grandmother and everybody. I got family all up there. I mean, it's an awesome place. I'll just tell you right now. Um, my concern about Quebec is we saw what happened in Winnipeg last week where my friend Mark Chipman mm. said that if we don't get our season ticket base up to 13000 from 9500 it's not feasible to keep the team here. That's my concern for Quebec. Mm-hmm. Can they, on a year-to-year-to-year-to-year basis, continually have fourteen to 15000 season ticket holders? Because, Jimmy, the problem is they take in Canadian money, these teams, and they pay everything's paid in US. Yeah. And it's not easy, Jimmy. I mean, just currency no. exchange is not good right now. No. And I don't think it's getting better anytime soon. No. So Commissioner Bedman and his people are really aware of that. They understand. Yeah. I, I, you would know better than me, Pierre, but I think a lot of the hierarchy of the NHL w- would love a team there if it made sense. It just sadly, there's nothing that's come to it, there's nothing that's changed it. To make it make sense right now, unfortunately. No, no it hasn't. It, it just ahead. hasn't. And you're not embellishing it. You're just telling it the way it is. So, no. Yeah. I, I, I want to see where ask most hockey executives. They'd say, it'd be awesome if you had a team. Yeah. It'd be fantastic. No, everyone loves that. Anybody, I can tell you this. Anybody that was in the league before 1995, yep. they'll all say, get Quebec back in. Exactly. Every single one of them. Of Anybody that was after 95, they wouldn't remember anyways unless they played in the Quebec Pee Wee tournament. It wouldn't matter to them. It just wouldn't. It wouldn't matter. Yeah. But if you were there before 95 in the league before 95, you're saying get Quebec back in. I'm just telling you. I'll tell you what, Pierre. I, I was there for my first time ever long after they were go- gone in 2008 for the world championships, and that made me say get this city a team. Like, let's go. <laughs> it was just in the middle of summer, you know, and it was – or not in the middle. It was May, but – it was just, it was amazing how electrified the city was just to have hockey, to have pro players there. It was so cool. And you could just tell, and that, the, the Coliseum was still there. So it was, uh, yeah, well, the gold not- medal game was there. The Russians, yep. the Russians beat oh, yeah. the Canadians in the gold medal game. Gordon Miller and I called the game. Yeah. I had the honor and privilege of meeting uh, former prime minister, Stephen Harper at that game. Yeah. And, uh, he was, he is very good friends with my old partner, Gordon Miller. And, um, when I left the building that day, there was a heavy police presence right by my car. And I was like, this is weirdo. Like, what's mm-hmm. going on with this? And know. right next to me was a car with Russian flag next to it or on it, you know, on the front. Mr. Putin was getting in his car and I was yeah. getting in my car. Yeah. And they had just won. So he was a happy camper. Yeah. Um, and they were making sure that no, it wasn't for my car that they had the police presence. It was no. for his car. Yeah. I remember that well. I remember <laughs> that well. And I actually uh, was at a dinner, not with Putin, wasn't there, but uh, you must know who Alexander Medvedev is. Yes. Yeah. He's a big, big man in the KHL and in the oil business in Russia. And yeah. I just remember here, they're checking our cell phones for anything that might be in it. That could, when I was walking into the dinner, they're op- literally, give me your phone, they open it up, make sure there's nothing in it that could set off a bomb. And I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> this is interesting, yeah. but yeah, Quebec. We all want Quebec to get a team. It just unfortunately it doesn't make sense right now. And the other thing too, Pierre, that might work against them too. I'm just thinking player personnel wise. If Montreal's having trouble signing free agents, what do you think it's going to be like having free agents in Quebec City? No, it'd be hard. There's no question. Yeah. But like, it's hard to get free agents to go to Winnipeg too. Yep. You know, it is. It just it is. It's it's hard to get guy. The Edmonton Oilers were the first team, and I give Kevin Lowe and Steve Tambellini a lot of credit on this and uh, Daryl Cates and his family 
when they knew they had to compete super hard to get free agents there, it wasn't easy when they were moving out of Northlands. Mm -hmm. They built a kitchen in their dressing room and they had it manned by a chef. Yeah. And everybody kind of, oh, come on, how soft can the league get? I defy you to go into any NHL rink today and see if there's not a kitchen oh, right yeah. by the dressing room Huge. with chefs. The chefs are like one of the most important parts of the team now. So that's what I'm saying. So this all started because of the Edmonton Oilers, and it was Kevin Lowe and Steve Tambellini and, and mm -hmm. Daryl Cates and his family that did this. And it was really smart by them. Yeah. I think it had unintended consequences long-term, but it was really smart. It was super smart by them. You know, it's, it's great you bring that up here too, because I, I have noticed too, like, I mean, that's, if you go to a staff list on teams now, the nutritionist is listed in most oh, of them, you know? Oh, I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's unreal. And it's, it's, it's well, become I can, a huge key part. My, my son, hasn't missed too many meals in his life. His mother's a really good cook. I can just tell you, my wife, she's a really good cook. The last two summers, he was in the Minnesota Wild Development Camp, and he comes back from those camps. He says, Dad, their food is way better than we get. <laughs> <laughs> and I just started, I said, don't you dare tell your mother that. Yeah. She'll thank you, man. So, yeah, no. So it's just it carries over, and the kids get used to it, and the team gets used to it. And, but, again, the unintended consequences. Edmonton needed to do that to try to get free agents to come and for players to stay. Yeah. And now this is what we've morphed into. I hear you. Well, listen, we're going to finish it off. Uh, I didn't forget Bob Borgen sending us our uh, this yep. date in hockey history. So many good ones to choose from, Pierre. Uh, but since we had a lot of Penguins questions from, uh, from our good friend Evan there, uh, I'm going to go back to February 26, 1989, and your man Mario Lemieux scored a goal and had three assists to become the third NHL player to get to 100 assists in a season, joining Bobby Orr and Wayne Gretzky. It came in an 8-6 Penguins loss to another peer connection, the Hartford Whalers. Yeah, well, here's what I can tell you. <laughs> Mario had a lot of big nights. <laughs> <laughs> And it must have been nice to be on the, on the right side of them. When you had a chance to really get a bird's eye view on the bench. It was just poetry in motion. Yeah. And it wasn't just the way he played, Jimmy. It's just the way he carried himself. Mm -hmm. I, I remember doing an outdoor game, Detroit-Toronto, in Toronto. Um, and it was at the BMO field where the soccer team plays. Oh, yeah. in yeah. I know. And it was right at the beginning of Austin Matthews' career. And I interviewed him after the game. I had skates on. I skated up to him. Austin, congratulations. Great game. And interview was going well. And I said, you have this thing. Like, I coached Maryland. You don't coach a guy like that. You maintain him. But um, I said, you know, I had the good fortune of working with Maryland. He had a coolness about him. You're the only guy I can say in the last 15 years I've seen come in the league that has a Mario Lemieux cool. What's that mean to you? He goes, wow. I, no, I mean, I forget his exact answer, but he was like, wow, you're really bringing my name up against his? So I'm not kidding you. A day later, my phone rang, and I didn't recognize it. It was a Pittsburgh area code. Uh -huh. so it up, and it was Mario. Oh, my gosh. And he said, wow, you, I didn't, you never called me cool. <laughs> you, you were really cool. Oh, it was really, you know, I, I, oh, it was just great. But he's yeah. just, you know, after we did our Phil Bork uh, talk last Thursday, 
Yep. Um, I sent it to Mario because I thought Mario needed to see what Bubba had said about him. And his passion too. And yeah, just the way how much it meant to Phil to talk about it. And uh, Mario watched it. And he oh, said, Pierre, I, I didn't know. Those are amazing stories. And I know I shared this with yeah. you. We can't yeah. tell everything about it, but it was yeah. pretty pretty cool that Mario actually reacted that fast. And Phil means so much to him. All those Penguins guys yeah. mean so much to Mario. Well, uh, before we go, and uh, just another Mario, Mario connection, uh, somebody who knows Mario as well, and Pittsburgh connection as well. And he's he's covering the whole NHL now for TNT and uh, Spitting Chicklets. will be joining us in Press Box Thursday. Colby Armstrong, former mm-hmm. NHL, will be on the show. Looking forward to that. I've met Colby a couple times, and uh, my stomach was hurting after because I was laughing so much. I've, uh, also, I've had the good fortune of spending a good amount of time with uh, Colby in some places better than others, but <laughs> <laughs> um, he's great. And uh, I, I was really uh, excited when he agreed to come on the show. And one of the things I think is really cool when you get guys like that on, he's not that divorced from the game as a player. Yes. And he's, he, he has really good takes, hot takes on style of play, behavior mm-hmm. of players, uh, coaching staffs and how they're running their teams because he's not that far removed from having to deal with all this stuff. Yep. And I think it's important to get that perspective from yep. people I think the like, game needs more of that. The broadcasting business needs more of that. Yeah, so I, I'm really excited. When he agreed, I called Jimmy right away. I said, you won't believe this. He's coming right on, so it's good. Nice. And he he watched part of our stuff with Phil, and he was – like awesome. I think like most Penguin guys – you're not surprised when you hear that stuff about Mario, but then you see the emotion that Phil had when he said it. Yeah. It was really – I think it struck a nerve with a lot of people. I really do. I think so, too. I think so, too. We've had a lot of good compliments from that episode. Hey, who do we have on Friday? Friday, uh, for on-campus Friday, we're going to have the head coach of the defending national champions in college hockey, Rand Pecknell, join us from Quinnipiac University. Looking forward to that. So – Got some great guests. We're working on another one for uh, for tomorrow and for hey, just Wednesday. Just to get back in touch with me. Yes, we've got some uh, we've got some things we're trying to line yes, up. Yes. Uh, yes, but good stuff. And a reminder too to everyone out there: keep, circle the date if you haven't already. March fourteenth, we will be at Hurley's, twelve twenty five Crescent Street, downtown Montreal. Uh, one of the best Irish pubs in North America, if not the world. Teeing up St. Patty's weekend and teeing up a Bruins Canadians game that week. Really looking forward to that. So if you're in the area that time, come down and say hello. Love to meet some of you uh, Montreal viewers uh, in person. Put a face to the to the names here and, and, and shoot the breeze with you. I really would love to do that. So keep that date, March 14th at Hurley's, the eye test live uh, on the Sick Podcast Network. I want to thank all our comment over there in the reader section and all our viewers and listeners and uh pierre this was a fun show it's too bad we didn't get uh cara mori but we will try to get her in the future we, will. Uh, we still we still made it work plenty to talk like i said i mean it was a hell of a hockey weekend we could have gone on another hour we didn't even get to all the things i wanted yeah no i think we have to kind of focus on that tomorrow the nhl stuff but I, before we go uh, i would be remiss if i didn't thank the coaches that opened up their doors to me last week and allowed me to oh, break yeah. bread with them and and greg car uh, greg fargo i should say at colgate university chris wells one of my former players at st lawrence university uh, and and matt derosier from uh Clarks and he has done that guy's button down, Jimmy. I spent Saturday morning with him and his staff at uh, 
Shield Center in, in Potsdam, New York, and he's buttoned down. He's got it going on, really got it going on. So, you know, the, the Frozen Four for the women are is in two weeks. Their Elite Eight is this weekend coming up. Best two out of three. The home ice teams are Colgate, Cornell, St. Lawrence, and Clarkson. And uh, you know what? They got a mad dash going on there. They got some really elite players in the ECAC this year. I can't wait to watch some of the games this weekend coming up. Awesome. Great stuff. Well, we will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks to our production crew over in Montreal. And thanks to everyone out there listening and viewing. Like I said, he's Pierre McGuire. I'm Jimmy Murphy. This has been another edition of the Eye Test on the Sick Podcast Network. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.